Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food. Or weight. Never ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever ever. Hello everyone, this is Lori Lee Work from It's Not About Food Podcast. And today I'm so blessed to be talking to the other founder of Beyond Hunger, Carol Normandy. And what we're going to talk about today is the idea of being over it, over the obsession, over the eating disorder, over the body hatred. And the reason why I'm picking today to do that with Carol is that we wrote a book called Over It, A Teen's Guide to Getting Beyond Obsessions with Food and Weight. And we wrote that 20 years ago this month. So December 2021 is the 20 year anniversary, our birthday of our book Over It. And I'm really, really happy to have Carol here today to talk about what we've been doing for 20 years and is this still standing and are we over it yet and how can we get over it? So really appreciate you being here and I want to introduce Carol. Hi, Carol. Thanks, Laura Lee. I can't believe it's been 20 years since we've written this book. Well, it was more than that because that's when it came out. Right. We've been working on it longer. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I'm Carol Normandy and I'm a marriage family therapist and got on this journey with you, Laura Lee, when you were needing someone to co-facilitate a group with you. So exactly, it's just been our work together to fight this battle for 30 years. And when you asked me to come and talk about this book, I just got really sad because when we wrote this book, we were really looking at recovery and prevention. And there's been a lot of really great work out there going on, focusing on recovery and prevention. You know, Elizabeth Scott spun off and did the body positive and all this prevention work. And what made me sad was thinking about, even though there's been this huge awareness in terms of eating disorder prevention and body positive, eating disorders right now among teenagers are so intense. Part of that is because of the reaction to COVID, right? COVID definitely created more stress and isolation and increased the amount of eating disorders. But I think also the intensity of social media, we have not done a very good job battling this disease. We haven't done a very good job, but I also think about when you and I first started Beyond Hunger was the year that sticks to, in my mind, is 1988. And was there even an internet? (laughs) Did we even see the internet coming? I did not. The concept of photoshopping, I didn't have that in my head. The concept of Facebook, I mean, I, you know, if we had thought about those things, we'd be gazillionaires, but we didn't. So I think I was late to the party of what this was doing to our youth and then somehow having some kind of voice to combat it. I mean, we still go into schools, we still talk about this issue, and it gets worse and worse every year, as you're also saying. And 
what to do, you know, what to do. I mean, Facebook just came right out and said, yeah, we do target young girls. Yeah, it's true. Even your story and my story are both of our personal stories. We both recovered from our own eating disorders. There was immense pressure to have a certain body type. And that body type changed as time went on, you know, what it should, what's the perfect body type. But we didn't have the Photoshopping, which creates a a standard that is not only unrealistic for 98% of females, but impossible. Impossible. (laughs) Not even a human. And then the ongoing, you know, influence of the social media that the messages are over and over. I mean, for us, we just pick up a magazine now and then. Yes. Right. Or CTV commercials now and then. But the intensity of the influencers and being on these feeds and, and them being targeted, marketed so that if you, you start on these feeds, you get more and more of them. It's just really quite profound how intense the pressure is on young women these days. It is. And it gets worse and worse every year and younger and younger and more and more unrealistic. And so how do we carry the message of getting over it to these teens? How do we carry the message of you don't have to look at this, even though everybody else you know is looking at this, or you don't have to believe the hype? Because when we're young, we do believe the grownups. Why would they lie to us? I mean, I can remember thinking that myself of I was thin, but I wasn't thin enough. And I took that to heart and believed it with all my heart and soul and body. You know, I just, I didn't even question that. I didn't question it. And I I do think this is one of the beneficial sides of social media, which is that when you do get connected with body positive sites or true recovery sites, there's a lot of powerful, good information out there. So you ask, how do we? And I think we keep fighting the fight with whatever weapons we can, including the social media. And you are still doing a lot of great work going into the schools and doing peer education and prevention. And there are a lot of great body positive, love your body, intuitive eating sites out there and influencers that are really strong and they've been through their own recovery. Yeah. And we have to cling to those girls, those people, those theys, you know, those whatever they are, if they're men, women or trans or whatever package it comes in. We need to hear those voices over and over again. Yes. Agreed. So I know that you still are working with young people. And how is that going for you? How's that going in your practice? Well, about three years ago, I started Amrita Eating Disorder Treatment, which is an intensive outpatient program for teens and adults. And when we started, we got both teens and adults mostly. There's a mixture. When COVID hits, it reversed back to being mostly teens. And all of the programs all over California were completely full with huge wait lists because COVID really impacted our teenagers, male and female and trans. The isolation and the not having the healthy outlets where you get your own intrinsic qualities mirrored back to you, you know, your artwork, your schoolwork, your sports, your music, whatever it is you're into those are nurtured externally in community and not having that and just being focused on what you can do behind closed doors, it really increased exercise addiction and food restrictions and eating disorders. So it's very sad to see that there's a huge increase during COVID, mostly among teens. Yeah. And I often say that whatever you did before COVID, after COVID, it was on steroids. 
you know. Exactly, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Because again, disordered eating is so isolating. And what else could we call it but isolating when we were in lockdown? I mean, it was just the perfect storm for a lot of people. Tell me a little bit about, like, we wrote this book for teenage girls, and I thought a lot about myself as a teenager when I was writing this with you. And for me, you know, like I said, I look exactly like my father's side of the family. They're tall and thin and long-limbed. That's just the body type that they have, and that's what I look like. But when I was a teenager, Twiggy came out, one of the first waif models who was tall and thin and knock-kneed and flat-chested and this concave stomach and no butt at all, no thighs, no feminine qualities to her body at all. So I wanted to look exactly like that. And I got a lot of pressure to look like that too. I put it on myself and it was put on from outside of me. And so at a very young age, you know, I started starving to death, really, to be able to look like that. And that stayed with me for many years off and on that I wanted to even, I remember being pregnant with my son and upset that I had gained so much weight because I was growing a baby, but I didn't really put that together that to grow a baby, you had to gain weight (laughs) because the baby (laughs) weighs something, (laughs) you know? So it just really, that early eating disorder, body hatred just permeated my whole existence for many years. And I thought about that a lot when we were writing this and how great that would have been if somebody had come into my school and talked about this issue or somebody had written a book that I could read or at least there was something out there that was a different message than what I was getting. So I'm just wondering, what was that like for you? when you were a teenager? Well, I think what you're saying is true. During our teens, there was not an understanding of eating disorders and there was not help out there. There were no books, there were no resources. There was really nowhere to turn to. I mean, I remember my eating disorder was most severe during college. I remember fainting in the shower one time and going to the doctor and there was no question about are you eating eating (laughs) so they just sent me back home little did they know I was binging and purging three four times a day but there was there's no question now you know most physicians are really tuned in and are aware and are on top of it which is really really important but what is still here I think is the pressure to perform and that not tied to the own intrinsic sense of worth. I think that when I applied to college, you didn't have to have a perfect grade. It was easy to get in. Now there's just so much pressure. And I think this perfectionism is really accelerated right now for for teens. There's a little paragraph in our book that I love that connects to this. Can I read it? Yes, please. It says, when we are taught that our value as a person is based on our accomplishments or beauty, Instead of who we are as spiritual beings, our self-esteem becomes based on achieving these goals. We think we are good if we are thin and bad if we are fat. We think we are worthy if we get straight A's in school and worthless if we get straight C's. We push ourselves to meet other people's standards because we want to please them, not because we are pursuing our own unique gifts and strengths. The experience of becoming a woman and developing sexually is laced with expectations of eating certain foods and looking a certain way. So our identity as women becomes focused around, am I fat or thin? Am I eating non-fattening foods or not? 
Am I the right weight or the wrong weight? And with all of the incredible things women can and are doing today, do you know what most women want to be? Thin. (laughs) That's so true. Oh my God. You know, that paragraph, we've made huge progress in women's rights. And when we wrote this book, we wrote it oriented towards young girls, but then 90% of individuals with eating disorders were female. And now it's just a completely different world. It's much more complex. But even though there's been so much growth in women's rights and honoring diversity, and there's still this pressure to perform and to be perfect, that hasn't gone away. Yeah, it changes. You know, when we wrote this, the pressure was to be the perfect mother and be on a lot of different boards and have a perfect 2.1 children and (laughs) perfect house in Marin County. And then added to that was at some point was, and you needed to have a job as well. That was like your perfect job. And you really made a big difference in the whole world and got paid really well for it and still having to look really good. And then young. We always had to look young. No matter what age you were, you needed to look young. And that's still like that today. Writing this book 20 years ago and writing, it's not about food, probably about 23 years ago, it came out, I guess. I need to look on that, but because we're going to have an anniversary of that as well. Beyond Hunger. How old is Beyond Hunger? We've been doing this for a friggin' long time and that we're still doing it. And I remember starting Beyond Hunger thinking, well, me and Carol will do this for a little while. And then people will catch on because they know that diets don't work. And that's what's kind of becoming really the way to be. And we won't be doing this anymore. But we could do it more. And we could do it in more places all over the world. It just is very discouraging. I mean, we're still here doing it. And there's a lot more people doing it, obviously. My podcast is I have a lot of people who I can pull from to do a podcast because that's how many people are working in it. But it is still very lonely and it feels very daunting, I think. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. So you're still working with it, too. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a part of it that just feels like this is such an entrenched historical aspect of our society that it's going to take a deep awakening to shift it. And on the other hand, though, what you were saying is that when we started, there were very few people in this treatment field. And now there's programs everywhere. So we finally started to have as many programs or not as many, but more opportunity like the substance use treatment. Yes, we have residential care, we have PHP care, we have IOP, we have outpatient. We know now that you need a nutritionist with a therapist. I mean, we're just so much wiser in the treatment aspect of it. And so many more possibilities there that I think that's a huge way we've grown. And in addition to that, my hope is what that means is that we will have more people who are really going through the recovery process and truly recover. And 
having that internal transformation, I can't help but think will make us, you know, a healthier community. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, I have to look at the positive part of that too, you know, that I think that entrenchment that you talked about a minute ago is sort of like trying to deal with racism or homophobia or, you know, that entrenched idea that we have in this country and in other countries of those people are not okay, but, and I'm one of those people, I need to start getting okay. And how can I do that? And I need to change my whole self and life and personality and everything else about me. But dealing with eating disorders is you don't have to change the color of your skin and you don't have to change from being somebody who is sexually oriented some way or another. You just have to stop dieting and hating the body that you have. You just have to stop being obsessed with food and weight. It feels like it would be easier, but I think that whole weight thing has been with us since the moment we were born, no matter who we are. Right. It's another form of the internalization of defining something as right or wrong or the othering. That's this right. This is good and this is bad. And I think that the way this is connected to COVID and the way this is connected to the environmental emergency that we're having right now is that we as human beings will continue to do the othering until we have to work together and realize that we're all interconnected. And I think this is what the climate emergency is going to force us to do. I right? agree. So I see a, a very clear connection between disconnection from our bodies and the nurturing of our bodies in a natural, intuitive way, and the earth and the nurturing of the earth in a natural and intuitive way, which comes back to something that you and I have talked about, which is the oppression of the feminine. And we can no longer continue to not value these qualities, you know, of kindness and compassion and nurturing and love and accepting and intuition. We can't ignore them anymore because our earth won't survive unless we really bring our awareness to these. For sure. Just like the body will eventually rebel against dieting, <laughs> you know, and against uh, oppression to be a certain size, the body will win, you know, even if you get, right. <laughs> it will go, no, I'm not going to do it. And I think the earth is doing that too. She's like going, stop it. <laughs> you know, she's really upset with us that we can't seem to get this one. But yeah, I kind of like it that there are places where you know, like the earth or like our bodies that will just not bow down to the pressure, just not going to do it. And we might have to kill ourselves and the earth to be able to get this, but I hope not. I think that we have to wake up. I mean, I'm talking to another person who is woke about this, even though that's been like now a bad thing. Like, how can woke be bad? I mean, that's just consciousness, right? I mean, why are we so upset that people are conscious? But anyway, but I'm talking to another person who really, of course, gets this and does her own work around it. But yeah, at least there are people who do think we need to go a different way. This is not working. Thank goodness. Yeah. And I think the other thing I, I really love working about teens is that they're so brilliant. Yeah. You are. know, they're really smart and they're very capable and they're very resilient right? They're still young enough that they're really resilient. 
And they're still in that place of accessing their creative mind. So I love working with teens because once you start helping them remember who they are and their own internal intrinsic value and their own internal strengths, they really can grab onto that and grow quite quickly. And they are our future. They are our future. Yeah. I think about that. And I actually do say that when I go into schools about you're a lot closer to who you truly are than I am. (laughs) I've had 70 years to get away from me. You guys haven't had that long. It's going to be hard for you to buck the society that you live in, for sure. You're going to have to really struggle about that one, but you're going to be able to do it. It's not going to be so entrenched for you. You can say, no, this doesn't work for me. Yes, this other thing does. And uh, I feel exactly the way you do. I get these great comments that I read after each one. And some of them are, they're brilliant. These kids are brilliant. They really do know exactly what's going on. And they have it. And nobody ever asked them about it before. They haven't gotten the platform to say what they really say. What do we do now? How do we do this now? What do we do at this point now with a stuff, you know, is so in our face so much about our bodies and ourselves and our world and ourselves? What do we do now? I, I think that's a really good question, Laura Lee. I find myself becoming more and more aware of the intersectionality of all of these issues, that the internal oppression around our weight, our bodies, trying to make it be something it shouldn't, and that connection between all the other ways that oppression exists in our world, racism and all of the social injustice and how that relates to our climate crisis. I was so moved by the response of the young people to the George Floyd killing and how they use the internet and that social system to educate themselves and each other and to show up and to protest and to take a stand. That to me was really powerful to watch that happen. And it's interesting because what I wonder is what is it going to take for that kind of movement, social uprising to happen again? to fight against this dynamic where a huge percent of our youth are dying and the climate emergency, where it's it's their future. You and I are going to be long gone by the time (laughs) it gets really dark and challenging, right? So what is it going to take for the uprising to happen? Because it, it needs to happen. Well, it does need to happen. And I guess one thing I can say is being in your face, loud mouth, protester for a really long time. (laughs) I can remember very slim years of me and a bunch of older people were out there screaming. And now there's younger voices, like you're saying. It does kind of like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. (laughs) You I was marching in this insane new law in Texas, and I was marching next to a woman that had a sign that said, The Vagina Chronicles. (laughs) You know, know, like, number one, stay out. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, no law about this. Anyway, with such creative, wonderful signs, you know, of I was marching with Clinton when he was a baby with a sign that said, U.S. out of my uterus. And I'm still, I could still use that sign. 
I can't believe it. <laughs> anyway, but it is good that I see so many. It seemed like for a few years, nobody was out there with us. But they're now, they're there. And this young woman from Sweden and Norway, Greta, who's talking about this when she's 14, 15 years old on national TV. So, you know, maybe it's just one at a time, I guess. But we are here and they are here and we have to remember that. Yeah. And I think they have this ability to mobilize based on the social network that they have more so than we ever did. And that was really beautiful to see. Absolutely. Yeah, this is where the whole social media thing can really do good in the world instead of making everybody crazy. (laughs) can make everyone think. (laughs) Uh, We're going to end, but I just wonder if there's any part of this little book that you would like to also share. Oh, first of all, I just love the map in this book. Oh, I love the journey map. map. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It is a great little map. Yes. I'll share this very last paragraph in the trusting your process chapter, which says, as we heal from our struggles with food and weight, we are in the process of flowering like a tight rosebud that remains closed and protected from the world until it is ready to bloom. We too have remained curled up and protected within the walls of obsession with food and weight. As we begin to relearn to love ourselves, to awaken ourselves, we allow ourselves to blossom from within. The blossoming occurs layer by layer as each petal opens up one by one to greet the light. During the recovery process, it's easy to feel bogged down, overwhelmed, and hopeless. But this recovery is like going on a vision quest with a winding path that turns so often that it's hard to see ahead of you and impossible to see behind. There is one challenging obstacle after another. Sometimes it feels like you are getting somewhere and sometimes it feels like you are going around in circles. And it's times like these that you feel like you just have to have blind faith. So, you know, recovery, you and I have always held really clearly because of what you and I have been through is that recovery is possible. And in that process of recovery is this transformation and is this awakening. And it is the foundation of the transformation that I went through that brought me where I am today. And I know that that's true for you too. So one last paragraph, we want you to know that miracles are possible. You can recover from your struggle with food and weight and live a happy and fully life. Yeah. And the one quote I want to read that's in the very front of the book of, we are grateful to have lived through our eating disorders, to feel freedom from the obsession with food and weight, and for the opportunity to pass on whatever knowledge we have gained in the process. We wish the same and more to you. You know, I don't know who wrote this book, Carol. (laughs) (laughs) I don't either. I don't know how we did it. (laughs) Because it's so, every time that I read a passage like that, I think, Carol must have written that one because I don't don't have this in me. But we do. Of course we do. And everybody does. That's what's great is that, you know, we're passing on stuff that's been passed on to us and we're just passing it on and then they're going to pass that on. So I have hope for the future about that. Me too. Well, thank you very much for being on today. Thank you, It's been a pleasure as always. Yes. And I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening and be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, 
Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.